What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, October 29th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel, also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back. Give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. Game two of the World Series in the books. The Kansas City Royals, they now have a two-games-to-none lead over the New York Mets as this series goes to City Field. It goes to New York City for games three, four, and five. They'll have the night off tonight. Game number three will be tomorrow night, Friday night. Noah Syndergaard on the mound for the Mets. Yodano Ventura on the mound for the Kansas City Royals. But last night, this one was all about Johnny Cueto. A remarkable performance. Nine innings, a complete game, two hitter. That's right, he only allowed two hits. One run that came in the fourth inning that put the Mets up one nothing. Uh, but Cueto was just phenomenal. Only struck out four. Uh, walked three guys, threw 122 pitches, comes out for that ninth inning, got into a little trouble in that ninth, it looked like at first, uh, right? But he ended up getting out of it, and Johnny Cueto gets the win, and the Royals win this one 7-1, to thanks to a four-run fifth inning in which, I guess you could say the wheels fell off, because DeGrom was very good up until that fifth inning, he allowed six hits overall, four runs, walked three, only struck out two. An amazing stat here is that Jacob DeGrom, throwing as hard as he throws, he did not get one swing and miss last night from a Kansas City Royals hitter. And that is not something that we're used to seeing. Anybody who watches baseball this season, especially the postseason, and it's certainly not something that Jacob DeGrom is used to seeing. Uh, this kid is somebody that throws in the mid to upper 90s. He's got some nasty movement. But I think where his downfall was in that fifth inning, in which he let up four runs, I think his downfall was everything that was hit hard. Everything that drove in a run in that inning. The Escobar single to center, even though Escobar failed to bunt twice and two foul balls on two bunt attempts to try to move the runners along. Uh, it, it looked like maybe he was going to strike out. And then, you know, DeGrom, instead of feeding him fastballs, what he did was he went to the off-speed. He went to the slider at 88 miles per hour, sort of that little backdoor slider. It stayed up, stayed over the plate. Escobar put it to center, run scored, game tied at one. And then you get Eric Hosmer. He singles to center. This was a pitch that was, I believe, a changeup that just stayed up in the zone. He put it up the middle, two runs scored, 3-1 Kansas City at that point. And then Moustakis, he gets a changeup up in the zone. And he puts it kind of up the middle, sort of towards the right side of the infield. But it gets through, goes to the outfield, drives in another run. And the Royals score four runs in that fifth inning. And DeGrom, you know, that was it. He only lasts five innings in this one. And if you want to look at the difference in this game, I mean, you got to give Kansas City credit. 
It was like whenever they had two strikes on them, they were shortening their swings, and they were all about making contact. Again, they didn't swing and miss once. And I don't want to sit here and say that's because DeGrom didn't have his best stuff. I thought DeGrom was good. But during the times in which, you know, there were runners on base in that fifth inning, and he needed a couple swings and misses, he tried to rely on the off-speed stuff. And in this league, I don't care how good you are, if you are leaving your off-speed up over the plate and it's flat, it's going to get hit. And the three off-speed pitches, the slider, the curveball, the changeup, those three pitches that he threw to Hosmer, Moustakis, and Escobar with runners on base that ended up driving in runs, all of those pitches were flat and they were up in the zone. And, you know, I'm saying it at the time. I'm looking at it going, I, I get that he's not getting any swings and misses, but I feel like he's changing his game plan now. And I thought that was a bad idea. I think DeGrom's at his best when he's throwing that fastball, when he's using the movement to maybe even try to paint, uh, to try to blow something by somebody upstairs. Look, I I thought DeGrom had a bad game plan to try and go with the off-speed in situations in which there were runners on base, and I I think he was feeling the pressure of needing to get that swing and miss, and he said, well, they're making contact on the fastball, they might not be putting it all in play, but they're following them off. They're right on top of them. I need to mix it up. I, I, that's not when DeGrom's at his best. So Kansas City, you've got to credit them for sort of getting in his head in that game, saying we're not going to allow, allow him to throw any balls by us that are going to land in the catcher's mitt that have us swinging and missing, swinging out of our cleats. That's not going to happen. We're not going to allow him to do that. We're not going to give him that confidence. They did not give him that confidence in the first four innings. DeGrom, I think, when he got in a little trouble in the fifth, knowing that he wasn't getting the swing and miss, he tried to get away from what made him a great pitcher in this postseason, which was his fastball. And the Kansas City Royals deserve a lot of credit for getting in DeGrom's head and leading to the four runs in that fifth inning that gave the Royals a 4-1 to lead, and then the Royals scored three more off of the Mets' bullpen in the bottom of the eighth inning. They win game two, 7-1. So that's a story, what the Royals were able to do in that fifth inning, in the bottom of the fifth, but also Johnny Cueto. You know, you can score four runs in that fifth inning, uh, but you need your guy on your mound to be going out there shutting down the Mets, and that's exactly what Johnny Cueto did. So, Cueto, a great performance, nine innings, complete game, only allowed two hits, the one run in the fourth inning on the Lucas Duda single, um, walk three, didn't have a crazy strikeout performance, only struck out four, but he gets the win, and the Royals have a two-games-to-none World Series lead as it shifts now to New York, and again, game three, they'll have the night off tonight, game three, tomorrow night, Noah Syndergaard against Giordano Ventura. I can get into that game a little bit more on tomorrow's podcast, but a lot more going on tonight. Actually, some of the other stuff that happened last night before I get into this Thursday night football game with the Patriots and the Dolphins. The NBA, night number two, but most of the game, most teams opened up last night. You only had three games to open the NBA regular season two nights ago. Last night, was really the the major NBA opening night. Most games were played. Most teams opened their season last night. The Celtics were one of them here locally. And the Celtics, they did what we expect them to do, beat the Philadelphia 76ers at home. The Celtics wore their green jerseys last night. I don't know if that was because maybe they were going old school. 
that would be real old school. They they have the new parquet that's out there. Um, I I don't like the green at home. I don't. I like the white jerseys at home. I do. So I hope they don't continue to wear green at home. But it didn't really matter what color jersey they were wearing last night. They were going to beat the 76ers. The question was, were they going to cover at the 11.5-point favorite that they were? They did. They beat the 76ers 112-95. to And, you know, they showed us some of the depth they had last night. Now, A.J. Hunter did not play in this game. He was inactive, some type of illness. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, obviously inactive because he suspended because of the play uh, in, back in the playoffs in which he uh, ripped Kevin Love's arm out of his socket, out of his shoulder, out of his socket. So Kelly Olynyk suspended for this game, but they didn't need him. And as if you listen to me and you've, you've heard me give the Celtics lineup, you know that I don't think the Celtics need Kelly Olynyk. Anyways. So if we're going to talk about potential trades, and I'm going to get in that, get to that in just a second because uh, Wick Grosbeck, he had some things to say with regards to potential trades. And, you know, I, I, I like where his head's at. I won't lie to you. I like where his head's at. But I'll get to that in just a second. Because the Celtics last night, they showed us the depth that they do have. Now, I don't agree with the starting lineup. The starting lineup was much like we expected it to be based on what we saw in the last couple preseason games for the Seas. Uh, David Lee, Ty Lazella, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, and Marcus Smart run the point. Uh, that was the starting lineup. Uh, out of the starters, Jay Crowder had the most points with 14. Marcus Smart behind him with 13. Um, but you got... a. Beautiful night off the bench from Isaiah Thomas in 29 minutes, 10 of 19 from the field for Isaiah. He missed five of his six three-point attempts, uh, but he was able to hit six of seven free throws, had seven assists, but had 27 points on the 10 of 19 shooting from the field. Uh, you saw a lot of fast break stuff a lot of with this Celtics team running. Isaiah Thomas made a lot of good hustle plays defensively. Yeah. I like Isaiah Thomas. If you watched the Celtics last year, I don't, I don't see how you can't like him. Sometimes he can be a little too, it seems like things going on when he's on the court are a little too hectic. He's running around. But, you know, I do also think that if we're going to look at this Celtics team based on all the depth they have, sure, they have this depth. Again, Amir Johnson coming off the bench, giving you 20 minutes. 15 points. Jared Sullinger, 21 minutes off the bench, giving you 12 points. And as I mentioned, Isaiah Thomas with 27 points off the bench. I I just, I feel like, and I know that your starting lineup isn't the lineup that you finish the game with all the time. I get that. But I want my starting lineup to be the best starting lineup. And I just feel like Isaiah Thomas deserves to be in the starting lineup. Right? I mean, this is he's the best scorer on the team. Behind him, I still think Evan Turner's the best scorer. I think Evan Turner still is the best all-around player on this team. I really do. And I've been saying he deserves a spot in this starting lineup. They, they're dead set on Avery Bradley in it in the starting lineup, and I just don't I just don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, I look, I'm not saying I hate Avery Bradley, but would it be an awful thing to have Bradley coming off the bench? Would it? And as much as we love Marcus Smart and we love his intensity and his defense, you know, is, is there anything that we could point to in which we could defend the idea that Isaiah Thomas should be the starting point guard? I mean, 
I think he could be. I think he probably should be. And, and So what would be the problem with having some of these kids come off the bench and put Isaiah Thomas in the starting lineup? And also, I think at some point, Amir Johnson needs to be in the starting lineup. I mean, we might be to a point where we're talking about Jared Sullinger pushing his way potentially into the starting lineup. But all of these conversations are still good conversations. I don't mean to turn them into anything knocking the coach or turn them into any type of controversy with this team. Like, these are good conversations to have. I don't know that last year, I, I do know that two years ago, we weren't having the discussion of, you know, should three of these players coming off the bench, should they be in the starting lineup? Because that means you get three pretty good players on the bench, right? We weren't having that conversation. Celtics team's deep. They're not deep with all-star, superstar talent, but I think they're deep enough with enough talent to, as I mentioned, have, you take the over with the 45.5 win total that the Celtics uh, given in Vegas because I think they're going to have anywhere between 46, 48 wins this season. I think they're going to get a four or five seed in the East, and I think they can win a first-round playoff series. You know, depending on who their second-round opponent would be, I'd have to, you know, I, I, let's wait and see until I sit here and, and claim that they're going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It depends. They could get a matchup that, that is favorable for them in the second round uh, that they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I need to, let's get there first, all right? But I do believe the Celtics will at least get to the playoffs and have a very good chance to win their first-round playoff series based on the 4-5 seed that I think they could obtain based on their 46, 47, maybe 48 wins this season. With all of that said, um, I do also think that with the depth that you have, you need to, see, you need to break it down and say, all right, we got seven or eight go-to guys. And right now we're talking about, we got, we're talking 10, 11, maybe 12 guys in the rotation. I do think you got to cut that down a little bit. You do. Um, yeah, Jordan Mickey got two minutes last night. Terry Rosier got two minutes last night. Take them out of the equation. At some point when, Olen- you know, Olenek's going to be back after the suspension, he's going to be in this conversation. A.J. Hunt is going to be in this conversation. So you add those two to the mix, and we're talking a start in five, and then a bench that consists of one, two... Three, four, five, six guys, seven guys, right? Right Right now you got Amir Johnson got 20 minutes last night. Jared Sullinger got 21 minutes. Jonas Jerevko got 15. Isaiah Thomas got 29 minutes. Evan Turner got 22. And then when you factor in Olenek and Ajay Hunter, that's seven guys off the bench. That's, that's a 12-man rotation. That's too many. That's too much. I like depth. But that's a little too much, you know. We saw a lot of combinations last night, and at times I'm trying to figure out which ones I like best. It's only one game, so there was a little. My head was spinning a little bit when I kept thinking of who I wanted to see play with too, because there's a lot of players there that we're going through. You gotta at some point, if you want to be serious about creating a team in the NBA that's gonna win a potential playoff series and maybe even get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. You gotta sort of narrow that down and give most of your minutes to eight guys, right? Go from twelve to eight. So which means you're taking three, four, maybe five guys and knocking their minutes down big time. Who are those guys gonna be? It's not gonna be Amir Johnson. It's not gonna be Jared Sullinger. It's not gonna be Isaiah Thomas. Um so right there, you're looking at, okay, that's eight guys. I mean, Evan Turner, you're going to knock his minutes down? I don't see how you can. Again, I still think he's the best player on the team, Evan Turner. He does not get enough credit in this town. 
He really doesn't. And, you know, some people like Olenek. I don't really like Olenek, but he's going to get his minutes. You know that. And if Ajay Hunter can be the shooter that we want to see him be, well, you want to give him some minutes too. This The team, it's crowded right now. And I don't want to make that in the moment right now at the beginning of the season. I don't want to make that a bad thing. Like there's competition. There's going to be guys battling. But at some point, all I'm saying is at some point, you have to figure that out. Not just as a coach, but as an organization. Part of figuring that out may have to do with some type of trade. And it's something that we always talk about in this town. You know, how can the Celtics, how can Danny Ainge, how can they go out and get those superstar players once again? How can they do it? Well, when they added David Lee this summer, right? I told you I loved the move. I loved the trade. Not only were you getting rid of Gerald Wallace's contract, and I get David Lee makes something like, what, 15 million a year? He makes a lot. And, you know, this is, this is it. This is the last year on his deal. But I love the deal because he's a good player. And when he's given you – now, you, I, I hope you're going to ask for more than 22 minutes out of him because when David Lee's been at his best, you know, this is, he's shown you. When he's been at his best, he's been playing 30-plus minutes. And, I mean, if you just look at David Lee and his career right now in the NBA, if you look at David Lee's career, he's 32, right? He turned 32 in April. Uh, he's obviously coming over from a Golden State Warriors team that won an NBA title, right? But David Lee, when he gets the minutes in his career, I'm talking, I'm looking back at, and this is even in time with Golden State, when he's averaging... You know, let's look at 2010-2011. He averaged 36 minutes a game. Uh, 16 points, 9.8 rebounds a game. 2011-2012, 37 minutes a game for David Lee. He averaged 20 points a game and 9.6 rebounds a game. About 10 rebounds, but a double-double right there, right? Uh, 2012-2013, David Lee averaged 36-37 minutes a game, 18-19 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, double-double, right? And then 2013-14, averages 33 minutes a game, 18 points a game, 9 rebounds a game. He's around a double-double if you give him the minutes. Now, last season, 2014-2015, he played 49 games. He only averaged 18 minutes a game. His numbers were obviously down when you don't give him the minutes. But when his num- my point is when his, nu- when his minutes are up, so are his numbers. Like He doesn't get more minutes and just stay around the 10 points a game, uh, 4 rebounds a game. He actually is continuing to produce the more playing time he gets, and it's good production. So I'm looking at it thinking... How can you get David Lee when he came to the Celtics? I'm saying, well, how can you get him 32, 33 minutes a game? Last night he plays 22. And I get that early in the season, Brad Stevens is mixing a match and he's looking to see what he has. He has a lot of depth, so understandably so, he's still doing it. But at some point, when you progress and you get deeper into the season and you become a basketball team that you think has a shot to make some noise in the East, and I think the Celtics will be at that point, you need to start... You know, knocking a couple guys off this roster when it comes to giving them the double-digit minutes and giving more minutes to a guy like David Lee. That's why I like this trade. I want to see him get 32, 33, you know, 34 minutes and be a double-double guy because he can be that. Absolutely. And when he is that and he helps his Celtics team win, the more you win, 
the more you can attract big-name players, whether it's trading for someone and getting them in a sign-and-trade or going out and signing a free agent, a big name. And that could be, this season even, the next part to possibly cutting down that roster is trading a couple of these guys and taking a couple pieces, packaging them in a deal, maybe even with a draft pick or two, right? Taking the assets, moving them, bringing something in. And not even bringing something in for the purpose of winning a title this year, but bringing something in for the purpose of building and possibly helping convince another big-name player to join the team this offseason via free agency, via sign-and-trade. Who knows? Maybe make a move right before the deadline to be able to convince someone to make to make a move right before the deadline. You don't know what this Celtics team can do. There's so many possibilities. And the one thing that we're not going to talk about this season, which I love with this Celtics team, is the word tank. Like I told you yesterday and the day before in my NBA previews and my Celtics previews, we're just not going to use that word this season. And I love it. Because of the kids here. Because of the fact that you got Brooklyn's first round pick next season. Uh, next year, based on how they do this season, and their their draft pick next year is going to be going to be a great draft pick because the team's brutal. I mean, that could possibly be a top three pick, and and th- the best part about it is you could get a top three pick in next year's draft, and all you have to do this season is focus on winning on your own. You don't have to worry about tanking or losing, right? So the Celtics are in a great spot. So when they brought in a guy like David Lee, I said, well, he's going to help him win because you don't have to worry about your own team tanking when you have that Brooklyn pick and they're so bad, okay? Um, But I'm not the only one that's thinking this because yesterday, Celtics CEO and co-owner Wick Grosbeck, well, he is also thinking He's told us that he's also thinking big. He's thinking along the lines of the next move for this team is possibly making a a trade that could even help lure someone to this team, right? He talked with Felger and Maz on 98.5 The Sports Hub yesterday, right? Last night, yes. Wick Grosbeck last night was on Boston Radio, and here's what he had to say about the Celtics. And... Talking about free agency and trading for a player. Here's what he said. He said, quote, I personally think free agents will come to a place that is on the cusp. And if you're down on the bottom, you're never going to get a free agent. Uh, Grossbeck continued. He said, the way we are set up right now, it's all three. We have the draft. We have more picks than anybody's ever had in history. We've got cap space. We've got cap space for two max guys next year if we can get them to come. And we've got the trade. We've got traded Danny. We're not saying no to any option. Grossbeck continues. He says, let's say we win 50 games this year and get to the conference finals. We make some trade in February and get to the conference finals. We might, we might not. Got two max spots and Brad Stevens, one of the best coaches in the game. He continues. He says, free agency is the last choice, and it's when you haven't made a trade that locks up your cap. Or you haven't developed guys enough who then are max guys to re-sign them. We're not saving for free agents. It's not like we're saying no to expensive people. 
We brought in David Lee and Amir Johnson, but on one-year deals. We're going to take a look at those guys. Two good players. We have the option to probably re-sign them next summer. We can extend some of the guys on the roster, or we can make a trade in February and take on a bunch of money. So all of those things, at the end of it all, if there's free agency dollars left, then you can go the free agency route. Grossbeck said he is thinking of certain players, but he can't name them due to tampering. Says, quote, mostly we're looking right now at trades for December and February, and then we'll worry about free agency after that. If you don't dare to do something, you're never going to get it anyway. And quote, that was with Grosbeck yesterday with Felger and Maz here in Boston. And um, I love it. I love his attitude. I love the thought process. I love how open he is to every possibility because they have to be. But again, this is, this is the luxury that they, they wanted to put themselves in. And now that they're in it, they're letting it be known. All options are on the table, as well they should be. Now, if you ask me what options I, I take from this that I feel like... If you're asking me to get into Wick Grosspick's head as to what he's thinking, as to what Danny Ainge is thinking, based on the comments that he made yesterday and the things that we have seen them do with this team, and the assets that they have, and the options that they have. If you're asking me to get into Wick Grosbeck's head and say, what is the actual route out of all those options that they're going to try and take? What I get from that, what I think their mindset is going to be is, they are really going to go after somebody before this trade deadline. They're going to try. I don't know if that's going to be someone like, let's say, Demarcus Cousins. Maybe. And I already told you this offseason. I told you before. I'm all, I'm all for it. Go get DeMarcus Cousins. Still a very young kid. He has some maturity issues in the past. But maturity issues is something that you can fix. And I think it's also something that can improve just as you get older. Just something that happens in time. Okay? I know they got his boy Rajon Rondo. I don't know how the Kings are going to be this year. I have no idea. Let's say they struggle. Let's say the Kings want to cut ties with that contract that they have Cousins under. Would you take them on? Of course I would. Of course I would. Because not only do you bring in a tremendous talent to your team, but when you, if you could bring in someone like that, I assume you're going to have to give up a couple of your young pieces to get a player like that, along with a couple draft picks, right? Now, we'd be getting into, is it going to be Brooklyn's pick? I don't think so. I think the Celtics are going to do everything they can to even try to make trades and at the same time keep that Brooklyn first-round pick because, again, I, I just think it's going to be too good for them to pass up. And, and even if Brooklyn ends up being decent and it doesn't end up being a top-three pick, I still, think that you go, I, th- I still think that you sleep well at night knowing that you gave it a shot and knowing that it was an option. And you tip your cap to Brooklyn if that's what they're going to do, if they're going to come out and play good basketball this year with a shitty roster. Right with a shitty team, uh, yeah, that's just all you can do. Uh, but I think you have to look at their roster, and you got to think that the odds are in your favor if you're the Celtics by saying the Brooklyn Nets are going to be no good, and that's going to be a great draft pick. We're not giving that up. But we have a lot of other things we can give up. We can give you our first round pick, the years that we have Brooklyn's pick. We can give you our first round picks, 2000 and what is it? It's 2016, right? They have Brooklyn's first-round pick next year, and they have Brooklyn's first-round pick in 2018. So they could say, we'll give you a first-round pick in 2016, 2018. That's two first-round picks along with a couple young plays that we have. You'll toss in in an Evan Turner if you want, who is the best player on our team. 
I keep saying that because I believe that. I, I know that a lot of people have not don't buy into that because they're obsessed with some of the younger players. But I, Evan Turner, if you watch the Celtics team play last year, I mean, he's pretty damn good. And I don't know that he could be a valuable asset in the trade. I'd like to think he would be, but you're going to have to add on top of that, right? Uh, you have to match salaries. Uh, Avery Bradley might be part of something. I think. I mean, I wouldn't hang up the phone if somebody asked me for Avery Bradley, would you? I wouldn't. Uh, so, I don't know. Is that something you think of? Go out, bring in a DeMarcus Cousins, and if you do something like that, look, I'm just trying to get into the head of Wick Grosbeck, but I think he's thinking, and the Celtics are thinking, make a move at the deadline, you know, shave off a couple players, shave a couple players off this roster, because you do have too many, and in the process... You're a team that's going to be winning more than you were last year. And if you go out and get that big player at the deadline, you're going to win even more this year. Do I sound too much like Donald Trump? We're going to do so much winning in Boston. We're going to be sick of winning. No, seriously. The the team, the Celtics need to, as what Grosbeck points out, they need to win something. They need to win a playoff series. They need to be better than they were last year. But they're going to do that, especially if they go out and add that player. So when they do add that player at the trade deadline, what you're then showing potential free agents this summer is, we're serious about winning. And that whole attitude about being serious about winning and being serious about winning now, as Wick Grosbeck points out, goes a long way in trying to talk big-name players into coming to play for the Celtics and coming to play for your team, wherever that may be. It is. I mean, you all you have to do is, I know he didn't throw out the example of getting Kevin Garnett, but I always point this out to people. Kevin Garnett originally rejected a trade to the Celtics. You know when he accepted it? When he saw that the Celtics were taking it seriously enough that on draft night they traded for Ray Allen. And Kevin Garnett said, all right. Okay, Danny Ainge, I see what you're doing there. I see the piece that you just added. That's a championship piece to go along with Paul Pierce. I see what you got. All right, I'm in. Let's make this happen. And that was the piece. uh, That was the domino that fell the Ray Allen trade on draft night that ended up convincing Kevin Garnett that actually going to Boston would be a good thing because they were serious about winning now. You need to make those moves this season if you're the Celtics and you're serious about signing a big-name potential free agent this summer. And look, it's the elephant in the room right now. Whenever you mention big-name free agent this summer, right? I'm sure it was the elephant in the room during that Wick Grosbeck press conference yesterday with Felger Mass. Because he can't, Wick Grosbeck can't, Wick can't give a name because that's tampering. But you know the name everybody in that room's thinking about. Kevin Durant. It's Kevin Durant. Rumors have him already. He's going to go to D.C. He's going home. He's going to play uh, for the Wizards. Really? Uh, well, what if you're the Celtics and you can construct a roster that's on the East Coast, close enough to D.C., and is a a better roster a better coach, and an organization that is more serious about winning right now. What, you don't think you could work out a sign-and-trade at the end of the season with the Thunder? Well, what if you went out and you added DeMarcus Cousins? What if you had all the pieces in place other than that elite scorer on the wing in Kevin Durant? And Durant can see that much like Kevin Garnett could see it when he saw the Celtics make their moves on draft night.
years ago. <laughs> I know, I'd say years ago, right? It was a long time ago. Man, time's flying. In 2015 right now. But it's the same process. And the Celtics, look, we didn't all like when that process was over. And we had a couple years here where this Celtics team was just bad. And it's been frustrating. But guess what? We got through it. All right? We got through it. And to hear the thought process that Wick and the Celtics have right now, it's a real thought process. You know, it is. And, and the things that they are doing now here moving forward, are the, it's, the apps, it's the blueprint to get back to being a successful NBA franchise really without tanking on your own. Getting somebody else's draft pick from a team who sucks, worrying about yourself, building your own team, and having enough assets to possibly make a move at a deadline or in the offseason to bring a player in to also convince another superstar player with, with again, you know, he points out, I love how he points out we have the ability to sign two max contracts. Right? Two max contracts. Take on two max contracts. Kevin Durant, Demarcus Cousins. Just a couple names to throw out there. I, I know Wick couldn't say it, but maybe I'll say it for him. If I had a, and maybe those aren't the names. I've gone through the list. I've gone through the list of free agents in the NBA. I got it right in front of me. I got it right in front of me. Restricted, unrestricted, uh, you know, a couple that jump off the page. You look at right now, one of them's with the Pistons, Andre Drummond. He's going to be restricted. You know, you could throw him an offer. Maybe Pistons match it. Maybe they don't. Um, that's the name, Andre Drummond. You know, there's a couple others, but Kevin Durant's the big one. I mean, I don't know if you sit there and then wait, maybe wait two years down the road, 2017 offseason, where Russell Westbrook is possibly available, someone like that. I mean, there will be players available. You know, Memphis, Mike Conley. I, I'm just thinking out loud here. There's some names that are out there I, that'll be out there the next two years. I'm sure the Celtics have a list written down somewhere of a couple of these guys highlighted, underlined, in bold, checked off. These are the guys you're going to focus on. But the question, if you're Grossbeck, if you're Danny Ainge, how do you actually go out and convince them to come? And it gets back to something that Wick says in that interview. He points out trading at this year's deadline, this February. The more I listen to him talk, the more I think they are going to make a blockbuster move. And, and not, not to win this year, but to get a good enough player to convince somebody, some big-name free agent, a la a Kevin Durant, convince him to come to Boston in some type of sign-and-trade. Uh, it's, you know, and if he could do that, that to me, would be best-case scenario because then you're telling me that you're a Celtics organization that is going to be ready to win next season. That's going to be ready to win a championship next season. And, I mean, two years ago, did you think that, you know, 2016, 2017, they'd be able to pull something like that off? I know I wasn't thinking that, or at least... You know, you kind of were hopeful that crazy things could happen, but no, these things now, maybe they're not seeming so crazy. It's, it, look, it's something I'm thinking of. It's something we're all thinking of. But the Celtics last night, they get the win. They're deep. They're not deep with superstar talent. They're deep with talent that is good enough to improve upon last year's 40 wins. That's for sure. 
And if you want to shave off a couple players from this roster, which I think they do need to do, if they want to be serious about winning a first-round playoff series and potentially winning a second-round series, depending on their second-round opponent, I don't think you can do the 11-man, 12-man rotation. I think you got to cut it down to, you know, eight guys getting most of your minutes because that means some of your top dogs are getting the 32, 33 minutes a game, right? Last night, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, the uh, you know, yeah, Marcus Smart at 32. I need Isaiah Thomas getting 33 minutes if he's going to score like that. I do. Uh, Avery Bradley, 33 minutes, four points. I know he's good defensively, but there have even been times Avery Bradley defensively the last couple of years have been, hasn't been great defensively, where I'm going, wow, I, if that's supposed to be a strong suit, he's can't. there are times he couldn't do that. Love Jay Crowder. I think David Lee needs more than 22 minutes. I think Amir Johnson at, at some point is going to need maybe more than 20 minutes. I think Amir Johnson should be in the starting lineup. And then you're looking at Jared Sullinger. I mean, maybe he's a trade piece. Who knows? Right? A lot of options. Good things. These are good. It's a good problem to have. I'm happy with the Celtics team. I'm excited. You should be too. That's all I'm saying. I'm just throwing out options and things to keep you hopeful, things to keep you excited. They're not going to win every game this season. There's going to be some games and some moments and some stretches that are not pretty. Because, again, this isn't an all-star talented lineup, superstar talented lineup. They're deep, but not with superstars. And there's not really one superstar on here either. I know people like to say there should be someone, you know, all-stars, this, that, eh. I'm not going to go there. I mean, I'm listening to the broadcast. I'm watching it on TV, on Comcast. I'm just waiting. I, I, have, I don't think we heard it last night, but it's coming. Tommy Heinsohn's going to compare somebody to some Hall of Famer somewhere, somehow. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know who he's going to do it with, but he's going to do it. He might even do it with a couple players. A couple different players compare him to Hall of Famers. And we're going to laugh. We're going to roll our eyes. They're going to be good. We're not going to be knocking the player. But we're also not putting them in the Hall of Fame. Right? Like maybe Tommy might do with a couple players on this Celtics team. But uh, exciting stuff last night. It's going to be an exciting Celtics season. And I can't wait till we get to the point where we're talking about potential trade options and we get close to the trade deadline in February and we think back of these quotes from Wick and and Danny Ainge and we look at what this team can do and the options they have and the players that are going to be available. I'm telling you, it's some people might think some of the names I just threw out there, like they think it's a pipe dream, but I don't think it's going to be. I think this stuff is going to get more and more realistic as the season moves on. But um, right now, you know, we're looking at this Celtics team and what they did last night, and they get a big win over the 76ers, 112-95. I got people knocking next to me. My cousin Bobby's here getting his son Dylan skate shopping. Uh, big season for the boys. I don't know. Uh, we had the, Bob, we had the rink closed on us last night. Rink closed on us. Piece of the glass behind the net. We had hockey last night. We have to play in the North End because the Celtic rink closed. And a piece of glass behind the net broke in the skate before us. So they told us as we were getting dressed in the locker room that we couldn't come out and skate. So, because they said it was a safety issue. Okay, I can understand that. The glass was shattered. And um, I, so I can understand the safety issue. But 
they got to have another pane of glass around the rink somewhere, don't they? Apparently didn't have one until we all left. We all left the rink. And then somebody stayed at the rink after and sent us a picture of a pane of glass that was still, that was actually somewhere hidden in the corner. Not that I was going to put it in, but I think we probably could have cleaned it up in about a 10, 15 minute. We could, that could have, we could have made the switch. We could have somehow got that done, but they wouldn't let us skate. But um, that's where Southie Utaki is skating in the North End this year because the Southie rink is closed. And that's where you got people coming in, getting their skate shopping, knocking on the window. Um, that's what we do here at Beantown Athletics. But so actually the North End rink, I don't know if you know the Boston area or not. If you're not from here, I'll tell you about the North End Rink. It's right near the Garden. So there was vicious traffic, which made, which made it even worse. Because we're battling Celtics traffic on opening night at the Garden. The Garden is literally a block away from the North End Rink. And we get all the way in, battling traffic. It's raining out. So you know how people drive in the rain at night on top of it in traffic. Chaos getting to the North End Rink. What happens? We get half-dressed, and they tell us we can't skate. Because the little kids before us, they broke a pane of glass. But um, hopefully they get that fixed, and we can get back out there for our skate next week. But anyways, so I DVR'd the Celtics, came back, watched it, also watched some World Series. And um, uh, as the World Series goes on, I will continue to break down those games. And on tomorrow's podcast, I'll talk about Game 3, Syndergaard Ventura tomorrow night. Back goes at the series switches now to New York. The first two games are in Kansas City. They'll have three in New York, and then they'll have two, if necessary, six and seven in Kansas City. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll talk about it. But tonight, Thursday night football, Patriots host the Miami Dolphins as week eight gets underway. I gave my official week eight preview on yesterday's podcast. You can get that at dannypicard.com. Subscribe on iTunes. So every Wednesday, I preview the upcoming week in the NFL. I did go into Patriots-Dolphins, and nothing has happened that makes me change my tune on this game, which is that the Patriots are going to whoop the Dolphins in this one. It's an 8.5-point spread right now. The Patriots are an 8.5-point favorite. They started at 8. Now it's 8. I think they might have started at 7.5. It started around 7, 7.5, and now it went to 8. Now it's 8.5. It's still, the hook doesn't scare me. I'm taking the Patriots at 8.5. You know who's not taking the Patriots at 8.5? You know who's not? Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons, he tweeted today. He said he's, ta- he's scared of this one. He's taking the Dolphins points plus 8. He said the Patriots are going to win the game. He could see some type of backdoor cover, which has happened to the Patriots in the last two weeks, Right? Happened last week against the Jets with that late field goal. Happened two weeks ago against the Colts on Sunday Night Football with a late Colts touchdown. So there have been a couple backdoor covers against the Patriots. But at the same time, I don't. I, I, you know how we feel about this Dolphins team. You know, they're all rah-rah, big, bad, tough Dolphins. They win too straight. They got a new coach. They're practicing so hard that the games seem easy to them. It's just... It, the teams that they beat, Tennessee and then Houston, it just, it just, it, it, I don't care. I, I don't look at those games and think that those are difficult games for the Dolphins. And you look at all the teams the Dolphins have played this year, the quarterbacks that they've played, Fitzpatrick, Cousins, Brian Hoyer, 
Um, as I mentioned, Mariota, right? And, you know, Mariota got banged up at the beginning of that game. It's just, they have not faced, the Dolphins have not faced a quarterback like Tom Brady. They have not faced an offense like the New England Patriots. And they're coming to Gillette. All of those factors involved, even though the weather's beautiful today here in New England, like, it's one of those, it's been kind of cold. It's been getting cold recently. But today's warm. Today's beautiful, sunny. What do we got? We got 65 degrees, 70 degrees today, maybe. Um, I don't know what it's going to be tonight. I'm trying to pull up the weather right now. 70 degrees here in Boston, early afternoon. Let's see what the forecast. Forecast is the high will be 70, partly cloudy tonight with a low of 46. We're looking at a game tonight probably beginning around, it'll probably be around 55 degrees when, when we have kickoff. And that isn't terrible weather. In fact, the Dolphins must be loving that, right? I mean, usually if you come to Gillette, I, I think you're probably concerned with cold weather during the season or possible snow to go along with the cold. But the, the, the Dolphins are lucking out. They're getting some great weather tonight for this game. But that also means it's great. Here's what people don't understand. The people who might point that out. It's also great weather for Tom Brady and the Patriots offense, which I think is going to be a bad thing for the Dolphins. So, I just don't see the Dolphins coming close to beating the Patriots in this one. Mainly because they have not passed any difficult test for me this season. Not even with the new coach. Not even with the new practice mentality that they have. Not even with the new mindset or the big, bad, tough Dolphins that Dan Campbell has uh, put onto this team. The label he's put onto this team. Two straight wins. Feeling great about themselves. Very confident. That doesn't mean shit. Very confident. You know, the same, you know, you always have a plan. You feel confident until you get in that ring. Someone hits you with a punch. You know? David Lemieux had a great, had a, had a, felt confident, felt good about himself. Loved his knockout power against Gennady Golovkin a couple weeks ago. Until Golovkin decided, hey, you know, here's my jab. You, you can't do anything with it. You could feel all the confidence in the world. Here's my jab. What are you going to do with it? Nothing. I'm bigger, better than you, stronger than you. Um, and, and your knockout power is not going to phase me because you're not even going to be able to use it based on the fact that I'm sitting here jabbing you all night and your fucking hairs in your eyes. We, we already done that. We are, I've already knocked David Lemieux for not getting a haircut. So did the broadcast during that fight. Anyways, you get my point, right? You get what I'm saying. We, the, the Dolphins, they should feel good about themselves. They won too straight. I think they come into this game, and if there's anything that they might look at defensively to get to Tom Brady, they say, well, we have a couple major players up front that can get to the quarterback, and the Patriots' offensive line is hurting. They are banged up. And if you are going to get to the Patriots, if you're going to bust through the Patriots' offensive line and get to Tom Brady, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. The issues that the Patriots have on the offensive line now I'm confident that they're going to fix those issues by the time that we get to mid-November, late November, early December. It's going to be done. Patriots are going to fix whatever issues they have. They're going to plug someone in, the next man of philosophy. It's going to work. If it's going to work in any spot, it's going to work at the offensive line. It is. They've already proven to do it. They did it last year. They won a Super Bowl. Patriots fixed the O-line last year. Next man up approach, moving guys around. They want a Super Bowl. They're going to do it this year. 
But if there is anything that maybe the Dolphins could feast on or think that they're confident in feasting on tonight, it's maybe getting through that Patriots offensive line and getting to Tom Brady. But as we've seen, Brady has been able to do some great things this season and make the adjustments on his own, even when maybe he's got a leaky offensive line. He's got some leaks up front, sees the blitz. I mean, you saw it in the last touchdown pass last week against the Jets to Gronk. The Jets sent the house. Brady saw it. Everybody and their mother's coming at him. Dumps it right over the top right away. He reads the play before uh, the ball is snapped. He knows what's coming his way. That's why he's so great. You know, a lot of the stuff, Brady gets a lot of praise for throwing the football, a lot of praise for doing the right things, getting the ball out quick, but it's the stuff that he sees before the ball is snapped. It's the stuff that he does at the line of scrimmage that also makes him one of the best to ever play the game. So I don't care what you have coming at Brady, the Dolphins have not faced this type of football IQ under center to go along with the skill level, the Hall of Fame skill level. They just they haven't faced this beast yet. They haven't faced this type of offensive powerhouse. And I don't think they're going to come into Gillette. And you could say good weather, solid weather, 55 degrees, sunny, it's going to be beautiful all you want. Well, it's fine. But that also tells me the Patriots play in the same weather. And that makes all the things that you just point out that that could possibly make the Dolphins' night easier at Gillette rather than have to come to Foxborough and New England in the snow and the freezing cold, all that stuff that makes them better also makes the Patriots better. And the Dolphins have not faced murderous role this season. I just named you some of the quarterbacks that they have faced this year. And not one of those guys is named Tom Brady, and not one of those guys is in the same category as Tom Brady. Kirk Cousins, Blake Bortles, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Marcus Mariota, Brian Hoyer. Come on now. Let's be serious. Not one of them is even close to Tom Brady. And not one of those teams has all the weapons that the Patriots have. So, uh, even if they're without Deion Lewis, I'm still going to look at this game and say that the Patriots don't just win; they beat the. They, first of all, they cover. I, so Bill Simmons, he takes the. Eight, he's going to take the eight points. I, that's. And I've been trying to get Bill Simmons on the show too. He's got a new podcast. Yeah, he's doing the podcasting. He's always sort of done the podcasting, anyways. But, um, you know what was it? It was related to Grantland and ESPN. But now it's just the Bill Simmons podcast. It's just him. He's doing stuff with HBO, right? Is that what he's doing? HBO. Uh, yeah, he's the Boston sports guy, isn't he? We can't get him on the fucking podcast? I Look, and I don't have his direct contact information. Nobody will give it to me. But I've been going other routes. I mean, you know he reads his tweets. He does respond to some. Uh, I've sent him some emails on some of the Grantland emails that they have. I don't know if, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't have that anymore once he left there, but... Uh, I've reached out to other people that would have it, and they wouldn't give it to me. There have been ways that I think he might have seen me trying to get him on this show, but still probably won't come on. I don't know why. I mean, he is the Boston sports guy, and I'm, you know, I host a Boston sports talk radio show on WEI on the weekends sometimes, especially now where it's the schedule's crazy with the postseason baseball and uh, the college football that they have to play, but. Um, I mean, we do the show in Dorchester. I mean, in the heart of the city. I'm from Salty, born and raised South Boston. 
Uh, he's the Boston sports guy. Can, we can't get him on? Come on. What is it? Why not? Why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think someone like that will reject coming on this show? Maybe it's because I'm not a big enough name. That, that's possibly it. Maybe because I'm not a big enough name. Um, but also, maybe because, I don't know, maybe someone like that says he's from Boston. Is he from Boston? Right? Is he? I don't know. Not sure about that. Yeah, people, they, they fucking quiz me sometimes about the accent. It's like, first of all, I should be quizzing you. You're sitting here saying you're from Boston. Where the fuck are you from? You're not. So don't quiz me. Let's quiz you. I don't know. It's just something that pops into my head. Is that why Bill Simmons wouldn't come on? Because he calls himself the Boston sports guy, and this is actually a show that's in Boston with Boston people? Is that, does that offend him in, any, in any way? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he wouldn't come on, though. I, and, look, I'm telling you, he's seen some... T- I've sent him a million fucking tweets. And I know he gets a million tweets anyways, but uh, he's, I'm telling you right now, he's seen, some th- he's seen me wanting to get him on the show. He has. But whatever. Maybe we'll make it happen someday. I, look, I like him. I'd love to have him on. I'm just trying to figure out reasons why maybe we, you know, we can't get in touch with him at all. We've tried. I had some, maybe some other people in his ear, too, for me. Um, but we can't seem to get it done, make it happen. So uh, if we can, I'd love to. The studio is always open for guests to come in. Uh, we got something with the phone line right now that I hope to you know, fix in the next couple weeks. But uh, we got this beautiful studio here. Got three microphones. Anybody wants to come in. And we had Sam Kennedy in. President of the Red Sox, Sam Kennedy. Right? Comes in. Threw an F-bomb in here. So we have some big guests. Like we've former NFL players are coming. NHL, current NHL players, pro athletes in the studio. I don't know where, where does Simmons record his podcast. Is he still in? Is he living in LA still? I don't know. What's he? What's he doing? Is he living in LA? I have no idea. But he's the Boston big Boston sports guy. Why can't we get him in? On a top Boston sports podcast. Now, I get away from a lot of the Boston stuff sometimes. And because that's, you know, based on the demographics that we see, there are a lot of people that listen that aren't from the Boston area. And I, I do know that when you're not from Boston and all you hear is Boston sports talk, you get fucking sick of it. Because, you know, we've, we have all these championships that we keep bringing in year after year and uh i can understand why some people get mad when all they have to hear about is how much winning we do again here i go sounding like trump again we're gonna do so much winning right when we get kevin durant and demarcus cousins we're gonna win so much we're gonna be sick of winning i tell you what i'm not sick of winning i embrace it because someday, as I always say, Belichick and Brady are going to be bronzed in Canton, and the Patriots are going to be downright fucking impossible to watch. Because the rest of this league, as you see, sucks. Sucks. It's a terrible league. And uh, I, I just, I do not, I, I really do hope Brady plays 10 years and is productive for at least eight of them. And that Belichick hangs around too. Because... I mean, I I fear the day that those two guys are out of town and who knows the type of shit show that we have in Foxborough. Because we're not going to, it's not going to get better than what we have now. I can tell you that. It can't, right? It can't get better than what we have now. So I'm not sick of winning. 
I need to keep winning. That's what I need. To, I need to keep winning. We need to get the Red Sox back to winning. That'll be a nice time, too. And the Bruins, well, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but uh, they got some young defensive pieces, and, and I think they're going to make some trades at the deadline to ship off a few of the, let's say, as a Dan Ochara, maybe to get a couple more top draft picks or a couple more top prospect defensive pieces. And, uh, you know, at that point, a couple years down the line, maybe the Bruins are back to winning as well. But, anyways, the Patriots will be back to winning tonight against the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins, who think they know winning so well after winning the last two, eh, not so much. I'd love to see, you know, Bill Simmons is going to take the eight points. I just, I, I just, I thought I knew him better than that. I did. I don't know him at all, but I just listening to him and watching him and reading him all the time. I, I, I thought, I thought I understood his mind more than that. Like, I'm on the same page with him as the Celtics, I think, a little bit. Um, but right now, coming into this game tonight, not so much the Patriots. I would jump all over Patriots minus eight and a half. I think that they will put up some big points tonight against the Dolphins on Thursday night. Football, whatever happens, if I'm right, if I'm wrong, we'll react to it on tomorrow's show here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, at DannyPicard. Like me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash The Danny Picard Show. Um, And tomorrow, don't forget, Picks, picks, five games with the spread. I've had a couple bounce back weeks. I obviously need a couple more to get above 500. I'll be back to 500 after week eight. That is a downright fucking guarantee. And uh, you can also, what I do is I take, I've been taking the picks, picks segments and I've been putting them on YouTube. So you're able to go, make sure you subscribe there. You get it automatically. Just the picks, picks segment every Friday throughout the weekend. Subscribe youtube.com slash Danny Picard. So uh, that's where we stand in the NFL. I'll give my picks tomorrow. If you're looking for a week eight preview before this game tonight for the, for the entire week, you know, but maybe before you set your fantasy lineup, whatever, go to yesterday's podcast. Every Wednesday, I give my preview in the NFL for the upcoming week. I turn the page on the previous week and I move forward, much like most teams and every team in the NFL does on Wednesdays and again tomorrow along with picks 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 I will break down this Dolphins Patriots game on Thursday night football Patriots win it I think they win it big and uh we'll talk about it tomorrow until then I'm out see you